you may not know this, but with WBEZ, you can catch up on the news live anytime you want with the WBEZ app or at 91.5 on your car radio. Whether you beam it or stream it, the news is on WBEZ. From WBEZ Chicago, this is Nerdette. I'm Greta Johnson. We did it. We made it to another weekend. Coming up, Tamar Adler talks about how her work occupies the sweet space where deliciousness and ease meet. So I was never trying to, like, write the best possible use of scallion greens that had ever been conceived. I was trying to write a delicious thing that you could do with your scallion greens that you could do quickly and simply and you wouldn't have to really think about very much. But first, let's sit back and unwind from the week that was with two excellent humans. With us this week, we have the host of the podcast Started from the Bottom, Justin Richmond. Justin, hey. Hey, thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on. Also, here is the host of the podcasts, There Are No Girls on the Internet and CityCast DC, Bridget Todd. Bridget, welcome back. Hey, thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Yay. Excited to have both of you. Okay, so let's start with the Pope. That is a sentence I have never said before. Uh, Earlier this week, a photo went viral of the Pope in this like radiant white puffer coat. Turns out it was generated by artificial intelligence. Bridget, I know you tweeted about this. What'd you think? I mean, the Pope looked great. I thought it was real. You know, (laughs) I I was just scrolling social media while I was making my coffee. And I thought, yeah, the Pope in a sleek white puffer. That checks out. Sure. I didn't give it a second thought. I thought it was completely real. No, the the, the Pope and Migo strip in 2023 <laughs> makes sense. I, it's like, I, I didn't even bat an eye. It's like, yeah, the of course. Are pretty drippy sometimes, you know? You see, they be throwing the oil on people, you know what I'm saying? They, they real pimpish. I just sort of, it's like, it, it, it tracked, you know? Oh, my God. Well, it's such an interesting example of this AI thing because, you know, you could argue that this is, like, extremely benign. But it does bring up a lot of questions around fake news and information. Justin, how much are you following that in general, like around the AI stuff? I try to shut that all right? out. I try, to, I, try, I try to pretend like it's uh-huh. not going to yeah. happen. Pretending like it's not happening. Wow. I love that idea. So Charlie Warzel wrote about this for The Atlantic, and he had this sentence in his piece. Because we are in the infancy of a generative AI age, it's too premature to suggest that we're tumbling headfirst into the depths of a post-truth hellscape. <laughs> I don't know if that's supposed to feel comforting, but it didn't exactly do that for me. Bridget, you spend so much time in the Internet. I mean, how are you navigating this stuff? Oh, I, I feel kind of both ways about it. On the one hand, I agree that that Pope image, like I'm I'm someone who I have a tech podcast and I focus on tech intersection issues. And like I think about AI all the time. And yet that picture got me. So, like, I think of myself as someone who's pretty Internet savvy. And yet Mm. I was taken by a fake image. And so I think on the one hand, I am also concerned, skeptical, worried, any 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 word that, that, you know, fill in the blank there um, about the possibility of AI. But I also know, you know, a lot of folks in the AI space are trying to have a conversation about the ways that we're kind of allowing media folks who maybe don't know enough about it, myself very much included, Mm. kind of drive the conversation. If you look at the hashtag, I think it's AI hype. A lot of folks in the AI space are like, let's not, you know, fear monger. Let's not say things that aren't true. Let's not let's not automatically like cast AI as something that's going to, to, you know, push us forward toward toward like a hellscape. But let's have a (laughs) real conversation about it. 
That's fair. Okay, so maybe we can avoid the word hellscape. But I don't know. I also feel like, wouldn't we all benefit from, like, in general, spending less time online? Oh, I know I would. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) So something else I wanted to talk about with y'all is the fact that Succession is back. This is, of course, you know, HBO Prestige TV. It airs on Sunday nights. It's back for its fourth and final season. Are you watching, Justin? Oh, my God. I am so embarrassed to admit that instead of uh, tuning into the first episode of Succession, I was too busy watching season four of Love is Blind. <laughs> it was really embarrassing, but it's Literally the truth. truth. It's, okay. it's the truth. Yeah. Why? I don't know if I really want to switch from like that to like, you know, the, the brutality the, the, of it you all. Know, the darkness yeah. and, uh, you know, of, of Succession. Oh, I welcome that darkness right into yeah. my life. Put it Same. in my veins. I was... You know, I, I rewatched the penultimate season of Succession oh, just to be prepared for the premiere of the new season. <laughs> That's amazing. So with Succession especially, I feel like there is this conversation around, I mean, it kind of falls into like White Lotus Company where like we love white people mess and we think maybe we're watching kind of ironically, but at the same time, we're like also upholding all of these same structures Bridget, like as someone especially who rewatched the last season recently, too, like how much are you thinking about that as you're consuming something like Succession? Oh, I have a long love affair with white people mess. If it's, I mean, yeah, if it's messy, wealthy white people behaving mm-hmm. badly and also yeah. sort of, you know, wallowing in an inner sadness because they're wealthy. I give like, give it to me. I want them to be beautiful. Also, yes. Yeah. And well dressed. Like, give me some yeah. good coats, like a good cream yeah. sweater. Um, but I, I do think you're you're right. I think that it's especially with White Lotus. It's so easy to tell ourselves, oh, we're, you know, watching this because we want to see this lifestyle made fun of and, and shown right. for what it is. But we're all, let's not kid ourselves. We're also getting lost in the like nice apartments and the nice wardrobes. And so I think there is a fine line between appreciating it and sort of satirizing it that I think it's a little bit murky, at least for me. Yeah. Justin, what do you think? I mean, I feel like you could make the same argument about Love is Blind, right? I was just going to say, like, I just like mess in general. Which is, <laughs> and, 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 and beautiful looking people behaving poorly. It's like, that was that's why I was on that Love is Blind train. I'm like, this is not too complicated. I could just sit back, watch these people make a mess of themselves and feel like I've done something vicariously, you know, because I'm a little too responsible these days. But how much do you feel like you're helping fuel that fire? You know what I mean? Um, you know, not to make you think too like, hard about like, it. You know, <laughs> no, well, yeah, David, thank you. I appreciate that you're not trying to make my smooth brain work too hard. But uh, you know, it's like that train's left mm. a long time ago. All right, like Snooky was like ten and twelve years. It's like, what am I going to do? I can't fight yeah. that. Yeah, I'm not fighting yeah. the good fight anymore. I'm all in on reality TV and mess. Somehow, you got to get your yayas out. Okay, so in something that could actually be an HBO drama, Gwyneth Paltrow is on trial for a hit and run ski accident. This is uh, there's a three hundred thousand dollar question, which is, did Gwyneth Paltrow ski into an aging optometrist or did an aging optometrist ski into Gwyneth Paltrow? That's like the subtitle on the box story about this. It's such a weird story. Apparently, yeah, someone skied into someone in Park Slope, Utah in 2016. Terry Sanderson has accused Gwyneth of skiing into him and then skiing off, which maybe should be called a hit and ski, not a hit and run. Sorry, I had to do it. Um, anyway, he initially sued for $3 million and then he backed down to 300 k 
The BuzzFeed News article about this story has the headline, I hope Gwyneth Paltrow's ski crash trial never ends. Uh, Bridget, are you into this one? Oh, I'm so... I mean, as I said, rich people mess. Give it to me. So I've been following it quite... I, I watched the live stream of part of the trial, Did y'all. Like, you? I'm deep in. Yeah. Wow. Wow. It's just so, fast. so I've never been skiing. I have never been to a ski mm. lodge. I have never been yeah. on skis in my life. I don't, I don't do winter sports. It, I... I also wonder, like, if you've ever been skiing, like, is it common to run into people? Like, is that a common thing that happens on the slopes? <sighs> you, Greta? <laughs> You're like, I have no idea. You live in a whole other place, so I, tell yeah, me well, what goes on with skiing. Up in Alaska, I honestly, I mean, the the Vox article, I'm pretty sure it was the Vox article, even mentioned that there's like a, there is some sort of like skiing you know, national association that has code and their rule is sort of like if people are standing on the bottom, you're supposed to get out of like they have the right of way sort of and you're supposed to get out of the way of those people. Um, I mean, I'm sure there's all kinds of bougie etiquette stuff that we have just don't know at all. Yeah, but then don't people like run into trees too and like die? Like didn't that's like Sonny Sonny Bono went out that way. I'll never forget that. And one of the Kennedys. Oh my gosh. So Justin, is this? A, I mean, I have to say, initially, I was like, I don't want to know anything about any of this. I can't do it. But then, even just reading the prep for this conversation, I was like, oh, maybe I love this. Sounds great to me. I'm in. I'm in. I didn't. I, I, now I did not watch the live stream of the trial. What have I been? Because you're a normal person. Yeah, there's lines. But I'm just saying. I got. I got some boundaries. But, there are some gradients here. Um, nah, I've been. You know, I've been. I've been. You know, dipping in and out of the coverage. There was this amazing line that I saw from uh, the optometrist lawyer in his opening statement for trial last week. And he said, before this crash, Terry was a charming, outgoing, gregarious person. After the crash, he's no longer charming. (laughs) She knocked the charm right out of him. Allegedly. Talk about damages. Talk about damages. How do you account for that? How much is your charm worth? I know. Okay, so another story that caught our attention this week was this New York Times piece about an exclusive party in Manhattan that was only for people named Ryan. It took place at a pub called Ryan McGuire's. The owner's son is named Ryan. And he said the thing about being a Ryan growing up is there was always another Ryan around. (laughs) I just think this is so funny. Justin, what do you think a Justin party would be like? Oh, my God. It'd be a dud, wouldn't it? Like What? (laughs) And my name might be the thing I dislike about myself the most. Why I want to go be around other Justins? Like, good Lord. Get me out of there. No. (laughs) Ryan party might be cool, but nah, Justin party, that ain't it. That's not it. Mm -mm. Okay. What do you think, Bridget? Would you go to a Bridget party? Oh, absolutely. You know the t- the era in all of our lives when you would join kind of joke Facebook groups? I was in a joke mm. Facebook group for people named Bridget, and it was a, it was a, as weird of a group as you would imagine. And I remember someone posting that the, the quote that all Bridgets are alpha Bridgets. And I was like, oh, that oh doesn't make, God. that makes no sense. But also it makes so I much sense. It. I <laughs> yeah. believe it. Would that, does, does that mean the party would be a nightmare though? Like, is everyone trying to control the Bridget <laughs> yeah. party? I Yes. We would all be drunk, ordering shots and tr- like jockeying for control of this party. Right? It would be a nightmare. <laughs> 
That's so funny. I don't know that many Gretas in real life. I've met a lot of dogs named Greta. I recently overheard people at a restaurant talking about their horse named Greta. <laughs> so I think it would just be like me, Greta Thunberg, Greta Van Susteren, and then like a horse and a lot of dogs. That's which a, sounds, I don't know. Wow. Well, that's a dinner party. <laughs> I know, right? That's fantastic. <laughs> it's something anyway. I'm not sure what it is. Well, Bridget, Justin, thank you both very much for coming on. This was like, I think, actually too much fun. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. This was so fun. Thanks for having me. After the break, Tamar Adler extols the virtues of leftovers. You may not know this, but with WBEZ, you can catch up on the news live anytime you want with the WBEZ app or at 91.5 on your car radio. Whether you beam it or stream it, the news is on WBEZ. So there is a book I read about five years ago that I think completely changed my life in the kitchen. And I know, I know that is a very bold claim, but seriously... This is not quite as much of a cookbook as much as it is like a way of life book with excellent recipes and gorgeous turns of phrases. It is called An Everlasting Meal and it's by Tamar Adler. It came out about 10 years ago. Now, Tamar just came out with the Everlasting Meal Cookbook, Leftovers A to Z. And the conceit of both books is all about making do with what you have. Additionally, it's the way a pursuit of pleasure can actually help one be more economical and save money and time. There is so little time and you only have so much money. So there's all this pressure to buy the best possible stuff and magically know what to do with it, which can be really challenging. What was missing from that whole conversation was the reason to go and buy these this stuff at the farmer's market is that It is really high quality, it'll last for longer, it's more full of flavor so you can get better meals out of it. And it comes in whole form and you can use the stems and leaves and doing that is not this like belt tightening um, practice, but actually how great cooking is done. So use the end of your loaf of bread for breadcrumbs, save veggie scraps in your freezer to make broth. It's all about re-empowering people to actually do what they want to do. But in order to do that, you need to have a certain amount of cooking skill and knowledge and and not like cooking skill where you spend, you know, four hours on a weeknight cooking dinner, but where you can like spend one hour one day and then five minutes in subsequent days. Like all of this stuff that I, I was like, every one of these recommendations needs to come with like a handbook. The Everlasting Meal Cookbook, which came out earlier this month, builds on that handbook. It's about going to the store, seeing what looks good, having a well-stocked pantry, and then following your whim on any given day. Sometimes I get nervous when when people talk about, like, you know, buy what looks good and then be inspired, because I feel like Mm. you have to have a lot of time and access and privilege and resources to, like, access inspiration or like, you know, I'm like, <laughs> yep, totally. sometimes no, that's fair. in the yeah. middle of, you know, in the middle of a lot of work, inspiration is not really on tap. Um, <laughs> and I think that it is wonderful if one can be inspired. And I, and also, um, knowing that you can buy what looks good and then easily access, um, 
sort of simple, affordable solutions, techniques, approaches. I have to say it was an everlasting meal that encouraged me to finally actually buy herbs. First oh, good. That was one that I was just cut. I was skipping them. It was like, they're going to go bad before I could use them anyway. What's the difference? And you convinced me. It's like, no, I should actually be doing this. And they're lovely all the time. And they also, they're another one of those things like that. I was feeling sort of enraged that wasn't, you know, I wanted it to be like a public service announcement that, that said, if you buy the great thing about buying herbs is that then all you have to do to your other vegetables is like boil them or roast them. Or if they're left over, take them out of the fridge, let them come to room temperature. And then you just chop up the herbs and put them over it. And it's like, you know, that is the fancifier. That mm-hmm. is the elevating thing. Put an egg thing. on it if you want. Put an egg on it. Oh my God, an egg and herbs? It's <laughs> wild. Right? It's like, so each thing is sort of self-reinforcing. Um, but you need to be told like, yeah, I know. I understand that the recipe didn't say chop up parsley and put it on. But like, look at it. It could use some chopped parsley and you have some chopped parsley. So, you know, and then like, then it has chopped parsley and it looks so great. You're like, oh, you look special. I want to eat you, you cauliflower. (laughs) Well, I think partly what I love about the whole thing, especially this new book, is the idea that cooking with leftovers, it's not, I think so often we think of it as sort of an obligation and like, oh God, there's this thing in the fridge. But really this is a gift you can give yourself. It's not, you know, in a lot of cultures and in a lot of dishes, even in our culture, what what I'm using isn't thought of as leftovers. In restaurants, this is how dishes are built for dinner right. service. So you right. would if you if you get in the fanciest restaurant ever, if you get like a beautiful dish of, you know, uh, like spring French green beans tossed in like beurre blanc or, you know, the way that's made is the the French beans will be boiled beforehand in perfectly seasoned water and then set aside. The beurre blanc will be made. And then when your order comes in, the two things will be combined. But that's the same as having leftover French beans and having a little leftover sauce. You know, it's like we just are sort of building the same dishes at home or we can be building the same dishes at at home. And I think it's that like mind shift um, that I'm trying to encourage. Well, I think it's so cool, too, because it kind of eliminates that whole, like, speaking of inspiration, eating the same thing five meals in a row because you made a shit ton of it and you spent a bunch of money on it and you feel like you have to see it to the bitter end, you know? Yeah. And it's like, you know, chili again. And you want to avoid (laughs) you want to avoid that. And so, you know, thinking of it as like if you ever have, you know, been cold and hungry and probably hung over in a bar and you've been like, I do you want a baked potato filled with chili with like melted yes, cheese please. and scallions? I really do want that. It's like, well, they did not like go, oh, look, Greta wants a baked potato with chili on it. They were like, we have leftover chili. Perfect. This is how cooking works anyway. And so I think remembering that you're just transforming ingredients and they're all ingredients. So I'm picturing your refrigerator just full of like a myriad of different shapes uh, of jars with like a bunch of different like random, well, not random, but interesting and a variety of differently colored liquids. Yep, that's correct. (laughs) (laughs) My husband, he doesn't love this about, he loves everything about me. He doesn't. Of course. (laughs) He doesn't like mystery in the fridge. (laughs) I I get that. Yeah. Yeah. I respect that. To me, it looks like. A world of opportunity. He doesn't <laughs> see it like that. So I try if when it when it looks like you described, which is often, 
I try to like just go ahead and spur a little bit of transformation. So like there, there is a container with a little bit of pesto in it. And I was already thinking, you know what, I'm going to go ahead and combine that with mayonnaise and Mm. and then call it pesto mayonnaise or herb mayonnaise and write that on it. Beautiful. You know, that way if he's like going inside and he's going to make himself like toast with, you know, some, some sort of sandwich or whatever, it'll be like herb mayonnaise. Um, That sounds great. I just don't want him to feel afraid of it. And I know it just sometimes he's like, what, what are you, you know, you want to be a little more familiar. Well, and I do think even just from the point of something that's more visually appealing, like, you know, a random smear of pesto at the end of a jar versus like a verdant, lovely full jar of pesto mayonnaise with a label on it. Like those are two very different things to approach in a refrigerator. I feel like you, know? you just so everlasting mealed that. <laughs> like you're like it goes from being like a like a yeah, like a little swipe of something to I a thought verdant. I drink the Kool-Aid tomorrow. You, yes, I'm all you just in. Did it. Oh my god, that was fan fiction. You just wrote fan fiction. <laughs> oh my God, that's so funny. <laughs> that was amazing. So do you have sort of like an unsung hero when it comes to stuff to have around in the kitchen like mvp yeah like something that yeah you just feel like keeps coming through but that not enough people maybe appreciate or are aware of or or utilize um there are a few scallions always get used no matter what shape they're in in my Hmm. house and that is um in large part because even when the outsides get like kind of liquidy and brown if you Mm -hmm. take off the outer layers the inside's fine um and i love that about scallions (laughs) and so and and so the tops you know every single recipe in the world is like you know thinly slice the white part of the scallion and you're like what about the green part yeah the whole this whole cookbook is very simple i never went for like I wasn't trying to, somebody taught me these words in LA, I, that I'm not an optimizer, I'm a maximizer. So I was never trying to like write the best possible use of scallion greens that had ever been conceived. I was trying mm-hmm. to write a delicious thing that you could do with your scallion greens that you could do quickly and simply and you wouldn't have to really think about very much. Mm-hmm. So there, like, there might be a better one, but I don't care. Um, (laughs) so I just, I chop them up after, you know, using all the bottoms, I chop up the tops and then pound them with a bunch of salt in a mortar and pestle. Mm -hmm. I love my Mm -hmm. mortars and pestles. Um, but you could, this could also be, if you had a smaller food processor or like a bullet, you know, like a, something that's little and forceful, it would work too. And then you get this like wonderful, super, super green, bright, um, marinade. You can use it just like that. You and because it's already seasoned, it's salty. You can put um, any meat or fish in it for a few hours or overnight, and the um, acidity of the onion, the scallion, will kind of do the te- like slight tenderizing on fish. Mm-hmm. It's also great. You could just add that to sour cream, mayonnaise, Greek yogurt, and it's this like a wonderful dip or dollop. Um, you can add chopped ginger and mm. um oil to it and it becomes like ginger scallion sauce and then like the, those scallions are all used except for the whatever liquefied liquefied and then chow but everything yeah. else gets used that's amazing i was a little nervous that you were going to say that you liked to do something with the liquefied part no i have my limits what, 
Yeah, I respect it. I respect it. And, you know, in a lot of instances, like with the cheese or the bread or whatever, it's like you can cut that off. The rest is still good, you know? Right. It's often the case that the the point is not to use the part that looks disgusting and gross. <laughs> it's, that, it's that you can see past the disgusting grossness, trim yes. it off, and then use what is there. So you never went to culinary school. You write so beautifully about food and your recipes are lovely and versatile. It seems to me that you're, you've occupied a really beautiful space where deliciousness and ease meet. Does that match sort of how, how you frame your own philosophy and approach and aesthetic with this stuff? Completely. Whenever I say that I'm a lazy cook, I feel like there's a little bit of a potential implied like eye roll like how lazy can you really be if you're a professional Mm. cook and writing cookbooks Mm -hmm. um but i guess what i mean is as soon as it's i I tend to stop stop futzing as soon as something tastes good and delicious like i'm going Mm. for good and delicious without um exhausting myself or my resources or whatever and that what that means is that it's not a big deal like when i we have people over for dinner most nights when there's not a global pandemic. Um, Mm. And the reason that we do that and can do that is because I'm not, I'm not going crazy. Like I'm doing, I promise that it will be delicious. That's the only Mm -hmm. thing that I promise. And I like the idea of serving food and um, serving people and hosting and eating together being, you know, as low cost a proposition as it can be while still, um, pleasurable and upholding one's values, which, uh, you know, for me are very much about land stewardship and human stewardship and trying to make sure that I'm not taking part in, you know, the, the extraction of, of human labor. That's so much Mm. a part of our food system. Um, but for all that stuff to work together, you have to, you know, I, I feel like you have to be able to cook frugally and be a little bit lazy and kind of mellow about it. Well, thank you. I can't wait for everyone to check out this cookbook. And I can't wait to talk to you like a million more times, please. Also, (laughs) anytime you want. Thank you. Thank you. Right, that's it for this week. Thank you as always for listening along. If you have not gotten to hear our discussion of our March book club pick, it is in the feed. It's fabulous. I think you're going to love it. You should check it out. Also, it's a whole new month next week, which is completely insane to me. But our April selection is Michael Bennett's Better the Blood, and we'll have an interview with him in the feed this coming Tuesday. So be sure to check that out too. The show is produced by me and Anna Bauman. JP Swenson builds our newsletter and our executive producer is Brendan Banaszak. See you next week. See you next month. God, April. What the hell, right? Sometimes you just need a quick overview of the news. Meantime, it was chaos today at the Chicago City Council. A Chicago cop with a controversial past is running for judge. Other times, you're looking for a deeper understanding of what's going on in the city. Wow, that's so... No one has asked me that question. The Rundown Podcast has all of that, and it's Chicago-based, so you know what's up in your neighborhood and across town. Listen to The Rundown wherever you get your podcasts or at wbez.org slash rundown.